0: Hello there, and welcome to the next episode of How Good It Is, the show that takes a closer look at songs from the rock and roll era, and we check out some of the stories behind those songs and the artists who made them famous. My name is Claude Call, and this is what it sounds like when doves cry. Remember to check out the website, howgooditis.com, and the Twitter and Instagram, and of course the Facebook page, which you can find over at facebook.com slash How good it is, Pod. Ooh, let me me do a little plug here for a new friend of mine who, when I met him last month, requested that I cover this song. Uh, He calls himself Innkeeper Freddy because he's got a couple of bed and breakfast properties in the Washington, D.C. area. And Freddy does interviews with some of the people who stay at his inns, which you can hear on his show called Guest Book. I'm still playing catch-up with the show, but I can promise you that he talks with some very interesting people who are just passing through our nation's capital. You can find his show in your podcatcher software by searching for guestbook, all one word, and I will also post a link to the show in general over at my website. Go check him out. You'll have a lot of fun. Ooh, I've got a tricky trivia question for ye this week. So everybody knows, everybody knows that Elvis Presley's big hit, It's Now or Never, was based on the old Neapolitan song O Sole Mio, which was composed in 1898 by Eduardo di Capua and Alfredo Mazzucchi with lyrics by Giovanni Capuro. Except, that's not quite the case. In fact, Elvis was inspired by a different piece of music. What piece of music was that? In an amazing twist of fate, I will have the answer for you near the end of the show. So, per Freddie's request, we are talking about the song Purple Rain this week. And I took some extra time on this one because, in doing the research, it became one of those situations where the more you look, the more there is to see. And incidentally, when you're looking for articles online about Prince, it's kind of astounding how many of them are titled Let's Go Crazy, followed by some subtitle. But it was also kind of tough to separate the story of the movie and the soundtrack album from the song itself. So there's going to be a little bit of bleed over here. But To make up for the late episode, I'm going to give you a bonus episode in just a couple of days, so I hope we can be friends again. Purple Rain, the song, was one of the last tracks written and recorded for the movie of the same name. Uh, Director Albert Magnoli first heard it when Prince and the Revolution performed what they considered to be a rough version of it at the First Avenue Club in Minneapolis. He wanted it to be used for a specific point in the movie because he hadn't found what he wanted for that scene among the materials that Prince had already sent to him. After the show, uh, Magnoli asked Prince about the song and Prince told him, well, it's not really done yet. When Magnoli told him why he was interested in the song, Prince then asked him if Purple Rain could also be the title of the movie. and as it turned out the performance in that minneapolis club was being recorded like many of prince's shows and ultimately that recording along with the songs i would die for you and baby i'm a star both of which also made their public debuts that night were all used on the final soundtrack of the album now the original recording of purple rain was very long somewhere between 11 and 13 minutes depending on the source that you check out but it was edited down to eight minutes and change for the album But it didn't take a lot of other work, unlike the other two, which did need a lot of reworking. That the movie Purple Rain got made at all was a small miracle, considering that while Prince was pretty well established as an R&B star, he was still mostly a big deal, only close to his hometown area. His biggest hit at that point had barely cracked the top ten, and he was already living a rather reclusive life after the release of the album 1999. Magnolia was a first-time director, and the the entire cast had never acted before, and the budget was minuscule, and of course, the star at the center of it all didn't do publicity. But Get Made It did, and the album has sold over 25 million copies worldwide, making it one of the biggest albums of any kind as far as sales, and among the top ten soundtrack albums. So according to music critic and journalist Alan Light in his book titled Go Figure, Let's Go Crazy, Prince was on tour to promote the 1999 album, and as it happened, he was coming into the arenas just after Bob Seger had left them, and he wondered a lot about what made Seger such a big star, especially in the Midwest. Now according to Light, keyboard player Matt Fink said that it was because of the big ballads like We've Got Tonight and Turn the Page and Main Street, that kind of thing. So, Prince set out to write an arena rock level power ballad, and that was the birth of Purple Rain, the song. So while it was presented in the film as having been written by keyboard player Lisa Coleman and guitarist Wendy Melvoin, it was all pretty much Prince's baby. Melvoin says that when Prince first brought the song to the revolution, he had a melody and the chorus, and some idea of what the verses would be like. Drummer Bobby Z recalls thinking it was almost like a country song with an overall feel that was different from the rest of the album. But when Wendy came up with the opening chords, the song changed character and then everybody started playing their parts. After about six hours, they had it mostly written and arranged. Now for his part, Prince was a little bit worried that the song sounded too much like Journey's song, Faithfully. Even going so far as to call Journey keyboardist Jonathan Cain, who composed Faithfully, and playing Purple Rain over the phone to him. Kane was quoted as saying he told Prince he was just flattered that Prince even called, and that made him a classy guy. Stevie Nicks has reported a couple of times that Prince asked her to help him with the song. He sent her a demo, which she says she still has, and after she listened to it, she called him back and said it was just too much for her, that she didn't really have any idea of what she could add to it. And according to an interview she did with Mojo Magazine in 2013, she also kind of suspected that he might have been interested in just a little bit more than her voice, but that part she never knew for sure. Now, as I mentioned a while ago, the recording from the first Street Club was uh, one the one that made it to the soundtrack album, and it was originally quite long. One verse and another iteration of the chorus were cut out to bring it down to eight minutes and change, and if you're curious, the lyrics to the missing verse are... Honey, I don't want your money, no, no, I don't even think I want your love. If I wanted either one, I would take your money, and I want the heavy stuff. The verse was cut basically because it didn't fit in with the rest of the song. All the other verses are about the people, uh, or groups of people, in the main character's life. And of course, at about 4.05, the guitar solo and piano plus orchestral strings ending gets cut off at the end of the record for the radio and the single release with a quick fade. So the ending of the 45 sounds like this. Yeah, and that's pretty much all there is, you know? So what about the phrase, purple rain? What's that supposed to be about? Some people think it's about the end of the world, since that's something that Prince thought about a lot in the mid-1980s. And that's actually a reasonable answer. In 2012, New Music Express noted that Prince once explained the phrase by saying, quote, "...when there's blood in the sky, well, red and blue equals purple." purple rain pertains to the end of the world and being with the one you love and letting your faith slash god guide you through the purple rain and given prince's depiction of the end of the world in the song 1999 with the line the sky was all purple there were people running everywhere well that gives a little extra weight to this theory but just to add to the confusion a little bit lisa coleman says that the song symbolizes a new beginning uh, purple is the sky at dawn and rain the cleansing factor. The single went to number two on the Billboard Hot 100 and it was a top five hit in many other nations, though it went to number eight in the UK and only made it to number 41 in Australia. And of course after Prince's death in 2016, the song hit the charts again, making it to number four in the US, number three in Australia and number six in the UK. In fact, It was in the top 10 in several European nations, and it was top 40 in most others. And it even charted for the first time in Japan, making it to number 30. Most of the covers of the song have been live tributes rather than covers recorded for release. Certainly, one of the covers that's both pretty faithful and at the same time pretty weird is this one from the band Fish. This recording comes from a show they did in 1995 in Lincoln, Nebraska. in case you can't tell what he's doing and you probably can't he's playing the solo using a running canister style vacuum cleaner placing the nozzle on his face and modulating the sound that it makes with his mouth and facial muscles it's a little weird it's also weirdly effective listen in for another few seconds Purple Rain became pretty much a concert staple for Prince, playing it at almost every show except during that period between 1992 and 1996, when he temporarily changed his name to that unpronounceable symbol in protest of his contract with Warner Brothers. But during that time, he didn't play any of his older material. And of course, there was that halftime performance at Super Bowl 41 in 2007, which many still say is one of the best halftime performances ever. It certainly didn't hurt that it was raining in Miami at the time, and that, combined with all the purple lighting, well, you can picture what that looked like, yes? And typically, when Prince played the song at his concerts, he used it as the show closer, which means that when he played Purple Rain at, at the end of his show at the Fox Theater in Atlanta, Georgia, on April 14, 2016, that was the last song he played for an audience because he died a week later. And now it's time to answer today's trivia question. Back on page two, I asked you what song Elvis Presley's hit It's Now or Never was based on, despite the fact that it sounds so much like Oh, Solo Mio. As it happens, when Elvis was in the army and stationed in Germany, he heard this song. This song is called There's No Tomorrow, and it's performed by an artist named Tony Martin. It's from 1949, and this is what Elvis heard when he decided he wanted to do something similar. At some point, Freddie Beanstock, his music publisher, came to visit Elvis and heard the idea. So when Beanstalk returned to New York, he called on Aaron Schroeder and Wally Gold to come up with a new set of lyrics, which the story goes they knocked out in about a half an hour. So why did Beanstock choose Schroeder and Gold? Well, because they were the only ones in the office when he walked in. The song became a number one hit for Elvis, spending five weeks in the top slot in the U.S. and eight in the U.K. in 1960, and another week at number one over there in the U.K. in 2005 when it was reissued. In fact, its release was delayed in the U.K. originally because of some rights issues, probably because of Tony Martin, so when it finally came out it debuted on the UK singles chart in the number 1 position because there was so much anticipation for it and at that time debuting at number 1 in the UK was pretty rare. So yeah, I kind of cheated a little bit. Both of the songs are based on O Sole Mio. And that's a full lid on another edition of How Good It Is. If you're enjoying the show, please take the time to share it with somebody and maybe even leave a rating somewhere. If you want to get in touch with the show, you can email me at howgoodpodcast at gmail.com or you can follow the show on Twitter or Instagram at howgooditis. You can also visit, like, and follow the show's Facebook page at facebook.com slash howgooditispod. Or you can check out the show's website, howgooditis.com, where you might find a few extra bits. Thanks, as usual, to Podcast Republic for featuring the show. And next time around, we're going to find out how good it is when we visit my second favorite Christmas song. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you next time.